Welcome to the Bold SLP Podcast. We are so happy that you're here and can't wait to share with you all of the amazing conversations we've been having. We are the co-founders of the Bold SLP Collective, and we are also your hosts, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. Each of us has a variety of experiences in all things bilingual and bimodal speech-language pathology. You'll get to know us pretty well on here. We started this podcast to share our lived experiences, but also because we want to bring advocacy and cultural humility to the forefront of every speech therapy conversation. We hope that you'll join us each week, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bold SLP podcast. I am your host today, Ingrid, and I'm here with Desi and Lisa. I have a very special guest to share with you all today. Um, She is my friend, Elaine. She used to be Pacific Northwest Speechy, and now she's changed her her handle. She's going to tell you all about it. Elaine, I can't wait for our listeners to get to know you, and I know they'll love you as much as I love you, so please introduce yourself. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here. My name is Elaine Wynn. I am a Vietnamese pediatric speech language pathologist. I am also a first time mama to an 11 month old baby. And that has definitely been a journey in this past year. Um, Telling you a little bit more about myself. My specialty and background has always been with the autistic community. I actually have a strong foot there. And really what I'm passionate about is setting that early communication foundational skills. So those really complex communication learners, those those kids have my heart. Um, But in terms of my Instagram, my presence in this world, I have shifted from kind of sharing that pediatric resource and information into my account. Now what it's called is embracing wholeness. And it really is, it was born out of a place where I felt like who's looking out for the therapists who are looking out for the kids and their families. And now that I'm a mama, I think additionally, it's who's looking out for the mamas (laughs) when they're taking their child to therapy. Um, Because I just think the common issues of burnout um, is just, it's just too easy to throw that word around now. And I just, I do want to have a place where we can work together as therapists to heal some of this, but also I know it's a systemic issue, but you know, I can't, that's a, that's a conversation for another day, but I think what we can control, that is something that I like to talk about is how to manage life work balance um, on my account. So I'm excited to dive in today. And that's how I kind of found you because you started a book club. Uh, The first one that I joined with you was Atomic Habits is what we were reading. So way back when, I think 2020 Mm -hmm. or was it 2021? Um, So I I learned so much from you and I'm so glad you shifted into this space because you are a really good teacher and coach for that. You have helped me along the way for sure. Um, But I wanted to dive into our topic today. We talk a lot on our podcast about cultural and linguistic diversity. And you and I have those conversations behind the scene on Zoom whenever we get together. Um, And we had this big, I had this big light bulb moment last time we talked. Um, You were sharing your experiences about grad school. Um, And I was wondering if we could just start there, Elaine, because I know that's kind of how the invitation to the podcast came about, just that conversation, um, if you're comfortable with it. 
Yeah, well, actually, let's rewind to even undergrad, because I think that is like a significant part. So I think one thing that we talked about was just, I think it's no surprise that our field is very um, competitive and challenging to get in. But I do feel as a BIPOC, like there was an additional barrier to entry. And I in undergrad it's just something culturally that's very different like many people would stay on campus and maybe have the time to really immerse themselves in the activities um maybe the resources there um a couple things one i'm a first generation um, student of my family to go on to higher education so i don't know how to navigate any of that but number two it isn't uncommon at all in the Asian culture that you go home on the weekends, even if you're in the dorms, like you go back to your family and you're supporting your family. My mom owned a Vietnamese music shop. So sometimes I come out and I help her in international district with her music shop. Sometimes I'm just, most of the time it's really, I'm just back with the family. Like it's very, um, what is it called? Communal, like village living lifestyle if you will, like it's very much that. And so there is an ex expectation to for me to go back. And I remember really struggling with the college experience, really struggling um, grade wise. And my counselors who were in the communication science disorder department, when I would sit down and tell them about my struggles and how I wanted to get in the department, but I know my grades aren't good enough and I need some support, help improvement. I feel like it was almost too easy for them to just throw out like, have you considered becoming a teacher assistant? Have you considered being a paraeducator? Maybe this isn't the field for you, you know, and it's, it's always throwing out, have you considered being an assistant as opposed to have you considered these resources we have on campus? Let's talk about what's going on right now. What's making it challenging. Let's look at your schedule. Like, let's work with you. It did not feel like let's work with you. It's let's stop you here. And why don't you reroute and consider an assistant position? Um, and I specifically remember my counselor from my sophomore, junior year and undergrad saying to me, um, if you can't handle it right now, and maybe your your family cultural like values that just doesn't match well with this career, maybe maybe this isn't the the job for you. And I specifically remember leaving that building to my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and just crying and sobbing, like I'm never gonna make it. They don't want me. <laughs> so we'll start there. <laughs> so much to unpack I'm not surprised and you haven't told me that I, oh. I hear that from our students at beam all the time um so I'm not surprised anymore uh, I am angry that it hasn't changed you're younger than me you went through grad school a little bit you know later than I did but the same thing was going on 12 years ago the same thing is going on now and that's really really frustrating and part of why we do this and part of why we beam um, Lisa, I saw you going to unmute. Go ahead. <laughs> Just so many things you said. So the rerouting of like assistant or like basically like you're not good enough for this and and I'm gonna prove it to you. Ugh. So I'm not even gonna discuss that. I'm just saying I I've heard that too. Um, and the other thing about you not being wired for this or like, you know, maybe culturally it doesn't match. I mean, 
we are working with different kinds of families and different cultures. Like, what are you talking about? I'm the perfect person to work with these families. It's ridiculous. I've been having some moments of frustration lately within my state with our fields on a national level. And one of the things that's occurred to me lately is, you know, minority SLPs are acting within a system that was never designed to have minority SLPs, Um, whether that's a person of color, a person who is, you know, gender diverse, whatever the case might be, we're not meant to be in these spaces. And that's not how this field originated. So what you're saying is uh, an example of the active gatekeeping that has to happen at the undergraduate level, at the graduate level, just to make sure that we don't keep growing in number. Um, And I feel like I want to make a t-shirt that says that, like SLP and resistance or something. (laughs) I think you Uh, should. I want one. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll make my baby wear it too. (laughs) That's right. That's right. There you go. Starts at that age. No, it truly has been a journey. And (laughs) um, I'm laughing about it, but it's truly like trauma. But I'm laughing about because it's like, I think it's a little uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, wow, like this is wild to revisit because I, I have definitely moved past it. And you know, I am where I'm credentialed now I'm working, I'm, I'm, in a in a place where I am happy with my life, but like looking back, I'm like, oh, the barriers and the hoops I had to jump through that I thought was so normal, but now I can see that they were not normal. Um, there were ad- additional hoops that were thrown at me, um, and so going on, I think this is the part where um, Ingrid I had talked to you about was now grad school, like finally getting into grad school, and we're there, and I you know I felt like I made it. Um, I was in my final externship. So right before you graduate and I was with a supervisor that I told Ingrid, had I not had amazing clinical advisors and clinical professors who really advocated for me and believed in me, I don't think I would be an SLP today because the things that the supervisor said to me just rocked me to my core and shook my belief. And honestly, I, I, I suffered like from so much like self-esteem issues for the next couple of years. And, um, what I'm talking about, it's like, so she, one of the things she blatantly said, um, in conversation with me was, you know, I'm a little bit more reserved. And this is where I, I want to talk a little bit about the Asian culture. One of the ways that I grew up showing respect and when you're really taking something seriously is you are more reserved and you are there to observe and absorb and you're there to basically not make any waves like you're there to just really respect the other individual what they have to offer and take that in and support their agenda and so that's really how i was as a student i really um that was the kind of assistant i was or student assistant and i remember that that was the first time it really dawned upon me that there's a big clash between what i was raised with my asian cultural beliefs and what the american values were because my supervisor was at one point had asked me um it was like over lunch too and she was like hey i noticed you don't really talk a lot like you're kind of reserved 
is that a personality thing or is that a cultural thing? And I was like, um, I'm like, maybe it's both. I'm like, I, I can be a little bit reserved, but I think, yeah, maybe it's both. It's personality and cultural. I honestly still to this day don't know how to answer that. But even in that moment, I was kind of confused and shocked by it. Um, and then she responded with, yeah, I would change that aspect of you. I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I think you need to be more um, extroverted in your thinking. And so really that was hard for me because that's a very Western culture to be so extroverted and say everything you're thinking out loud. In the Asian culture, that's actually considered disrespectful to not be thoughtful about what you say next, about just saying things to say things. <laughs> like it's not it's not how we're hardwired and i'm asian american so i felt this tug between the two cultures all the time but this was the first time where it was explicitly said don't do that choose this put that that culture aside so that was a strange um practicum or ex externship where the whole time instead of focusing on clinical cases you know what like aac uh, clinical skills and treatments and styles, I was focusing on, okay, um, today when I come in, I need to make sure that I'm talking out loud to her what I'm thinking. And if I'm thinking, just say that I'm thinking, because a lot of times she was like, I can't tell what you're thinking. So if you're thinking something, you need to externalize it. So I've gotten in a habit, even to this day, when I'm thinking, I will say to someone like, just give me a second i'm processing right now and i've gotten used to saying that because it was so programmed in me during that year or that the it wasn't a whole year but that whole semester that i was there um to speak that way and i just remember there were a lot of conversations like that and then basically like the last week or so before graduating from the um the whole program and from this externship my supervisor sat me down to kind of do this review and let me know how I performed. And she said, I think you're going to have a really hard road ahead of you if you choose to commit to this field. I don't know if you're going to be able to make it. Um, there's a lot of things that concern me. Um, you just seem to be really hesitant and reserved. It was all like behavioral qualitative it was never like you treated the student poorly or you didn't know how to execute these skills it was never about skill set it was more behavioral about how i was as a person um and a lot of it honestly had to do with my reservedness like that really bothered her and she's definitely a very dynamic in your face loud bold and so it really bothered her like she she brought it up several times um, and I remember crying and <laughs> literally crying, crying. And because here I'm sitting so vulnerable looking at this person who's in the field saying, you don't have what it takes. And so I was like, what did I just do? I'm in this field now and I'm about to graduate. And you're saying like this, I'm not going to make it. Um, and we had five minutes until our next client shows up. And then she goes, do you need and should I go outside and tell the family you need a few more minutes to finish crying or are you ready to see the student and so I was like wiping my eyes and and of course I'm not going to say I need a few more minutes because you just told me I don't have what it takes so I'm like I got this I can do it and I'm like wiping my tears and then I'm like going out blowing bubbles bringing the kid back and 
um, on my lunch break, called my clinical supervisors at my grad program. And they were like, and I asked them, I, I like remember being so neutral and I begged them. I was like, please, you've seen how I've been. You've seen me at different internships. You've gotten feedback. Truly, if there's any truth to this, I would want to know so I can improve. Is there any merit to what she's saying? Are there any concerns, even if it's mild? Can I take away anything constructive from this? And again, so grateful for the supervisor, the clinical supervisors I had um, at our program, grad program, because they're like, Elaine, we've never heard this from any other supervisors and we've seen the way you've worked and conduct yourself. We don't have any concerns. And I'm so, so, so glad they said that because had they said, yeah, I have a little bit of a concern. Honestly, I, again, I don't know if I'd be sitting here today as an SLP. Um, so yeah, and I'm just going to say fast forward. So everyone knows this did happen. I did return to this position um as a full-time employee not right out of the gates but a few years later and it turned out that supervisor she was fired from her position because she was doing a lot of this stuff to other employees too and just really inappropriate so so just we know that there was a like a happy ending somewhat you know to this person down 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 the road but there was a lot of damage and cause that that occurred as well so you are an incredible storyteller i just have to put that out there for, for someone who was accused of being introverted and reserved and i don't know what it's just funny but the irony of a communication specialist supervisor not being able to accept a different personality from the one they're used to is it's yeah and we have so much unlearning to do from that grad school, like you are the authority, you're the one that knows everything, your voice is the loudest in the room. Um, yeah, I'm so happy we're moving away from that. And it's not that I wanted that supervisor to get fired, but I, I would have loved someone to speak to this person to be like, this is not okay. And, and you're actually wrong in what you're saying. And it's very harmful what you're saying. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm like, justice was served. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. um, but... I'm so happy you shared that because I knew it would resonate with um, Desi and Lisa because that's, you said that to me and I'm like, we have to talk about this if you feel, because it's so important. Uh, we talk about so much from the linguistic diversity perspective of things, but I feel like we haven't had a chance to focus on the cultural perspective of things. Uh, and you are bilingual. I know you are. Uh, but you don't market yourself as a bilingual SLP. And that's uh, another topic for another day. I know uh, I'm always <laughs> trying to encourage you. I'm always trying to recruit you to beam because you are bilingual. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that, Elaine. I wanted to add one more thing before yeah, we ahead. move on about this topic. I think what is the most disturbing part of it to me is just the way in which there are so many different levels of power, like all the different hierarchies at play, this clin this clinical supervisor knew that she you were getting a grade from her. Um, she knew that you were someone of a minority culture. She knew that, you know, again, she could manipulate you almost to the point of like changing your personality. It's so disturbing. And we are not... Uh, 
we are not safe as graduate students. Um, I personally had a supervisor that had it out for me too during graduate school. Um, and, you know, I won't go into details about it today, but it, it really was overwhelming and I, and you don't really know where to turn or who to ask. Like, it's so great that you finally asked somebody. Um, I know for me, I mentioned it to maybe one or two of the people in my cohort, but I never pursued anything just for fear of retaliation. So thank you for defending yourself. I feel like you're defending all of us by asking that question or by uh, appropriately going back to those other supervisors and checking in with them. And that's a really great strategy, um, finding somebody that you trust within that power hierarchy and giving an opportunity for them to give you feedback. So thank well, you for things, sharing that part. Two things you said. Well, thank you for saying that. But one, two things you that I'm thinking about is one, you saying that um, this person being in power and potentially changing uh, me and sadly like she did she did change me and in some ways for better but in some ways like you know i do think there is a level that i walk into rooms and i do push myself to be a little bit more extroverted faster than i'd be like comfortable with because I don't want to fit into that stereotype that she she profiled me with um, because it is a very common stereotype of Asian females being submissive and meek and reserved and seeing it as weakness and so I've almost learned to overcompensate I think naturally I am a little bit more extroverted once I have a little bit of a like ramp up time and I get to know people but I will say over the years I have felt myself purposefully push myself to be more open, like a lot quicker than I'm, I'm used to. Um, and then the second thing is, the second thing will have to come back when it comes back. Because <laughs> the second thing is gone. Was so it, was it about power dynamics or something? <laughs> I don't know, sorry. Um, I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's okay. so funny. It was like, burning like you know when such a thought is burning so much on your brain and then it it just fizzles out and it's gone <laughs> so, it'll um, come back to you well yeah, we'll circle back. back yeah um, but it's so funny this segue because I wrote on our form like one thing about I love about you Elaine is how you're so good at least for me because I'm such a tangible person and you are so good at helping me put like feelings that feel like ether and nothingness into words that I can hold on to. Yeah. Uh, and I loved what you put on your form when we were preparing for this recording about uh, the invisible labor of being a grad student, an undergraduate student, as I learned today, and an SLP who doesn't fit into that box of the 92% of SLPs who are white and you know, have American experiences. So I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more about what that means to you, that invisible labor. So I now remember what I was going to say and it maps onto this perfectly. Um, but when Desi, you mentioned um, reaching out to someone in equal authority or higher power that is safe, that you can trust. 
yes, I think in general, everyone does a level of vetting, right? No matter background, but I will say as a person of color, and again, I didn't think about these things until recently, until COVID hit and we were home. And then I learned about the statistic, 92% um, are white in our field. And I kind of looked around, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> and like, I never really questioned it because I think there's a level of simulation that started at a very young age. Um, but that is one invisible labor I had to do was who can I go to? My stomach would churn because what if so many professors saw me as this meek, shy, reserved Asian girl who somehow slipped by into the program by chance? Um, how did she, because again, my supervisor from that placement, that hospital placement, right? And when you think of hospitals too, you have to think like, you think that is like the pinnacle of a community gold standard. So for someone in a hospital to say that to me, I was like, oh, like, and at the end of my practicum too, I'm like, well, if I got to this end and now she's giving me this feedback, what if I'm finally getting to the end of my grad program and no one has really told me, but like, I actually am not made for this field, you know, and the professors just didn't tell me or, you know, how did I get by and there was so much imposter syndrome. So part of that invisible labor was who can I trust who will understand or create space for me. Um, and it was really a risk. I don't, I honestly, I, I really lucked out. It wasn't anyone of a similar background that I could really um, talk to. But I just got really lucky with such a good program um, with such great mentors and people who I think were already on the cusp of this inclusivity by amplifying voices that needed to be heard. So I think the program I was in was a blessing because um, the people that I turned to just really intuitively supported me in that regards. Um, but other invisible labor, one thing that I thought about was professionalism. How it's defined in Western culture is very different from Eastern culture. And I think that, yes, dressing the part, the modesty, and so, like that's easy, like that's simple, to, that's very consistent across cultures for me. But again, professionalism, like when are you being too assertive and then when are you like when is it assertive and when is it aggressive when are you too quiet and when do you actually need to be observant and learning like i felt like i could never find the right balance and medium i was never hitting the right mark um with that because again i think in in the asian culture at least vietnamese culture specifically to really show respect, you do not really challenge thoughts. Um, I'm not saying I love this aspect of the culture, but I will. it is part of the culture. You don't really challenge thoughts. It's very hierarchical in the sense of you, um, you really follow kind of what the elders or the person with the most power in the room says. Um, and you act upon it and you kind of go about it quietly. And I think one of the things that always stood in my mind was um, to demonstrate hard work. It's head down and just work and just stay in your lane and work. Whereas like there's some of that truth in the American professionalism, like culture, Western culture. But at the same time, 
don't people kind of champion like and it's very specific though but they do champion the people who are a little bit more vocal or extroverted or can kind of challenge um the boss but in the right way and it's like what is that right way like i obviously cannot do it in the right way i'm doing it in an offensive way somehow when i'm like hey i don't agree with this and you know so there's a level of like you do not want to just follow blindly because then you're kind of said you're not a leader you're not thinking for yourself but then um yeah, like then if it's like you're working hard and you're just kind of staying in your lane, it's like, are you being a team player? Are you active? Are you engaged? So many questions. So this is the invisible labor of just like dissecting a lot of what parts do I need to turn up? Amplify. It's almost like a thermostat. What do I need to turn up and what do I need to turn down today? And it's that constant, like my hand can never leave the dial. I felt like I had to always keep a hand on the dial and it depended on who was around me, the boss and the families too. And how the boss was kind of, you can kind of start picking up like the relationship or how the boss is kind of giving looks to other coworkers or colleagues of theirs. And so you're like, oh, okay, like, that must have meant something I need to turn down this aspect of me or turn up this other factor of me. Um, does that make sense? I feel like that's like, it yeah. Does. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. yeah, I I was thinking when you mentioned that term, I was thinking of the invisible labor that I had to do in that assessment class that I keep bringing up that I almost failed because you know, in grad school, if you don't get a certain grade, you know, an assessment is all I do now. And it's what I love, but that invisible labor that I had to do of dissecting through these manuals, we were learning all about statistics and how to get norms ready. Just asking the questions of, well, what about if someone like me were to be tested? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't fit into your norms and asking those questions. The more I asked, the more in trouble I got and the lower my grade got. And it got really exhausting and I didn't have a word for that feeling. Um, and you know, it was, it was invisible labor that other students didn't have to do. They were just there to learn the statistics. And I was like, this doesn't help me. I know I want to go out into this world and help my community. And I, if you're teaching me how to do this test that doesn't help them, what am I doing here? So that, that, came to my mind from grad school and then all the invisible labor we do as advocates in the schools for me I'm like no I don't know that my monolingual peers carry that same invisible labor of knowing what it feels like um so yeah I love that term and it's no. probably going to be my last word <laughs> yeah I mean uh <laughs> I think about how I didn't have a family who ever navigated this terrain. I was the first of my family to step foot on higher education grounds. I I mean, I have siblings like that have gone to like two-year college and everything. And so there's a level of understanding, but not to the extent of the university and kind of the competition and how cutthroat and um, direct um, and almost sabotaging some of these uh, statements that come out of professors or guidance counselors who are supposed to guide you um, can be. But the other aspect of invisible labor that I can think of, and I would not have known it was the case at that point, um, 
is part of that navigating the system all by myself, figuring it out for the first time all by myself, not having emotional support, not having like mental support, not having anyone to really lean on to say, oh, it's normal that the first semester is really hard and then you do this or even the studying strategies. I didn't know how to study really, like to be honest, like I, that's a skill that you have to learn. And then when I didn't get into grad school the first round when I graduated, so I had a gap year and then I went, I got into grad school the second time. And I don't know what it's like for others. I only know what it's like for me, but I can say with complete confidence, I worked damn hard to get into grad school. I retook any class that potentially I, I didn't where it was like a B grade or something like I try to get all A's um, and to retake classes it's expensive, especially like in isolation too. And so I worked multiple jobs so then I could pay for these classes that i'm retaking and then i'm paying for like 1520 grad school applications and I was. Um, going, even though I graduated from my undergrad, I was going to the speech and hearing department like once a month, once every other month, like pretty regularly, regularly enough because I was trying to maintain a relationship with the professors. Honestly, not a lot of them wanted to have a relationship with me, but there was one where he was very kind and was like, okay, like, let's talk about what we can do to kind of help you um, improve your application. I basically went to anyone who would be willing to look over my application from start to finish or even parts of it to say, is there anything that you would change so then I can work on it. So I worked on multiple personal statements. And I remember talking to this professor and after tweaking every single component that I could think of of my application, um, you know, I, I just remember one thing that he said to me, which was powerful and it did help me, but it, it is just like, I feel like this is a little bit of tangent, but I always feel like it's an important thing to share. Cause I remember telling him like, what else can I like do to prove to them that I I'm worthy of a candidate? Um, and I just remember him saying to me, like, you know, you did everything you possibly could you probably did a lot more than I think any student has ever done that I've seen and he said to me what you've demonstrated to me that I hope shines in your application is a quality that we would look for in any clinician which is the longing to be a lifetime learner and he's like you've demonstrated that you have that passion and that drive and you have the stamina to be a lifetime life time learner, long time learner. And I really appreciate that because I do really appreciate curiosity. Like that is one of my core values. I love being curious, but I will say that <laughs> that also feels like invisible labor a little bit because I was like, mm, am I naturally a cultivated like lifetime, long time learner, or did I have to do this because I feel like I have no other choice so then I can get in. So I'm doing everything. Anything someone passes to me, I'm saying yes. I'm not saying no at all. I'm just taking things on, 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 on. And it was, I burnt out. Um, I was exhausted. I didn't know how to navigate that. And that's another thing that I think resources for our community um, in general, it's, it's lacking, but I will say um, 
the additional labor that I'm doing is that in my Asian culture, we don't even acknowledge mental health things. We don't acknowledge stress. There's not, if there's words, <clears throat> I definitely have not heard the words for it in <laughs> terminology. <laughs> my parents don't use it. Um, so I think it's also that struggle of going through all of these feelings and emotions and then culturally it not being acceptable experiences as well like that is stressful too. <laughs> to be stressed and know that it's not acceptable to be stressed or even say you're stressed in in your home home culture. I love that you're showing up for your community and that's perfect segue for our last question. Um, I love that you mentioned that you're taking up more space now uh, because I know that you've seen me go through that journey as well like we kind of both met in 2020 when we were both being a lot more quiet and you know upbeat quote unquote uh, and we have definitely changed our trajectories and how we present ourselves online so I, I wanted to end with that um, what are some of the ways that you are showing up these days I saw this question and this one so funny that this is the one that stumped me the most in reflection I'm like how am I taking up space the one the one way that I think I'm taking up space which I didn't realize was powerful and impactful um is just by having a presence in social media, to be honest. Um, it sounds really simple, but if you look around, there's not a lot of people like me. I believe Fung is one who is also Vietnamese American SLP and the stats may have changed, but when I spoke with her a couple years ago, when I first moved to Austin and we hung out for a little bit, I believe she said across the whole nation, there's maybe like I feel like I may be exaggerating, but it was so significantly low. I think it was like six Vietnamese SLPs total, um, at least registered. You know, there could be more that just aren't listed that way in ASHA. Um, so honestly, I think one, just by showing up and having a presence, because I think that is breaking some of the stereotypes of Asians being very private, Asians being very like, um, hidden or shy or reserved it's like no like i'm just going to share with you like kind of my life what i do my experiences the second thing is i think the topics that i talk about um i'm not here to talk about your skills i'm not here to talk about how you can improve play sessions play therapy um, don't ask me how to work on ours. I'm definitely not the person for that. I wish I was. It's so hard. Um, but I'm definitely here to talk about leadership aspect in work environments. I'm here to talk about culture, work culture. I'm here to talk about life work balance, which is Again, if you are Asian um, and traditional Asian culture background, then you know, like talking about balance, talking about mental health, talking about holistic practices, that is so, I feel like my parents always like see it as such like woo woo or luxury or not like valid because what they went through is such a different time and all they think about is like roll up your sleeves and just get the job done and just work hard and don't you know you could be suffering but 
that's okay. If you're suffering for a good cause, it's fine. That's kind of the mentality they have. But I'm here saying like, no, I don't want to suffer and I don't want anyone to suffer. And I think like we can work through this and we can figure out a way. Um, and so I think the types of things I talk about and the content that I create is in itself me taking up space and kind of rebelling a little bit on on the usual norm. Um, don't even get started on talking about rest. When I told my parents that there's seven types of rest, they're like, my mom's like, Elaine, like in Vietnamese, my name's Elang. And she's like, I think you're just coming up with more reasons to tell me what you need to rest. And I'm like, no, it's a real thing. It's research. And she's like, I don't care what you say. <laughs> like you're, you're just trying. And I'm the youngest of like all the kids. So she's like, I think you're just trying to come up with more reasons to like convince me why you need more breaks in life. And I'm like, no, mom, it's a real thing. It's so important. <laughs> That's so funny. I'll, I'll wrap this up, but I do have an anecdote to share. Um, she got me into the Enneagrams, Enneagrams. I don't even know how to say it right. Yeah, yeah. No, you said it. When we were doing another book um, and we went through it and talked about it and even like how that relates to the kind of cleaning that you do. Like, are you a clutter this or ladybug there? Like we had a whole like super in-depth conversation and I kind of tried and you know quickly moved on one year later we were talking about personality types again and I'm like I don't even remember what kind I am and Elaine's like oh you're this and that I remember <laughs> and I and I was like oh and I'm looking at her she's like yeah because of this this and the other and she's like listing all my qualities and my energy and she <laughs> remembers people by like their energy yeah and, and that's how that's what I think about when I think about you but that's not my last word. If you guys are ready, um, we'll move on to our last word, Elaine. It went by so fast. I know. I can't believe this flew by That's so fast. How? I know. We'll we'll get to you last since yes, I need give some you time some time to think. think about your last word. Um, I was debating on my last word, the invisible, um, invisible load, or I was also thinking about what you said about just showing up as yourself I think I needed to hear that because sometimes I push put pressure on myself to show up as more or you know as with a purpose but like you said sometimes it's just enough to just be there and be mm -hmm. yourself so showing up as yourself and that invisible load of being the invisible labor mm -hmm. I was looking for something to do with authenticity, uh, but yeah, showing up for yourself is a perfect way to put that. Um, I like the last thing that you said, that no one should suffer. I think listening to your story, there are so many moments of unnecessary suffering or additional suffering just for being different. And I love that you're taking that and making sure that other therapists don't feel that way. And I don't even think you care what color they are. Like you don't want any therapist to feel that way and you want to encourage rest. And so no one should suffer. I think that's beautiful. My head is still buzzing with a lot of the things you said. Um, and I really appreciate this entire conversation. Um, it makes me think about how 
much we have, how much work there is to do, how much work there is to do um, for ourselves as therapists, you know, the work that we have to do for students so that they don't go through these kinds of things as well. Um, my words that I'm taking away from this conversation, uh, you kept talking about making it, um, how you finally made it, right? And I, I think it's this concept of making it and made it, right? You did both things. You were active at one point making it uh, and you did so much. Um, so that is for me, the concept. It's pretty vague, but I, I really like the, the two, the action of making and then you finally made. I, I really appreciate both of those ideas. And I, I think about both of them for you in the context of this conversation. And I think we are amazing. <laughs> you are amazing. Um, we do so many hard things. So thank you for joining us. And I'll let you do your last word now. Oh my gosh, I was hoping you would. <laughs> I haven't thought, I was so... Um... Focus with edit everyone's um, conversation, but I almost feel like it has to be something about intuition or your gut. Um, so many times, my gut like has signaled to me whether something was right or wrong, and I knew that this field, like the actual, like being able to be a pediatric SLP, I knew in my gut, like when I watched the first session of what it was, I'm like, this is what I wanna do. I, it lit me up and I knew exactly this is what I wanted to do. But then my gut also told me that the process as I was going through it, I'm like, I still feel the same way about this, but the process feels really icky. And I think it's okay to question those things. I think younger me, that's part of the invisible labor was that questioning. And I, I said it, I think maybe before we hit record, but I was like, it's that constant like gaslighting and ungaslighting. I'm like, it might like, do I really feel this way or do I not? And is this real? I think really honing in on your intuition and your gut is so, so powerful. It's almost like we are all hardwired for this internal compass. And we already know, we already know the way but there's so much external noise, there's so much mess, there's so much systemic issues that we have to get through. But honestly, that compass really kept me going because again, it was not an easy path. Um, there were so many times where I'm like, should I just stop? And should I become a paraeducator? Should I consider a different route? Should I look at different pathways? But I just kept coming back to like, no, but I, I know I really like this, but this feels really hard. Um, and it doesn't feel hard in the sense that I don't see myself doing this. It's hard because whatever this is that I'm navigating, which I didn't know at that time, but whatever it is here, this this is the icky part, but it's not the, the actual craft of being an SLP that was icky to me. So I think really honing and practicing and trusting your your intuition your gut instincts and knowing that now you have this beautiful community here with ingrid lisa and desi um and just a whole slew of other therapists who are showing up and taking up space on instagram um social medias just to just to share our experiences, know that you can reach out to us too. And you can reach out to me if you're like, hey, this happened. Is this normal? Is this weird? Um, I can give you my initial gut reaction and instincts of like, this is what I, I'm thinking, like just off the cuff of what I'm hearing. Um, 
I know I, I did that recently with this situation with Ingrid. So I still need, need someone to kind of be a soundboard for me at times. How can people find you on Instagram? What's your handle? My handle is at embracing wholeness spelled exactly the way it should be. <laughs> you know, people get fancy sometimes. I'm like, no. Yeah, plug all the things, Elaine. Where can people go find what you do, your coaching, everything? Yes. Um, so at embracing wholeness. And then I also have for pediatric um, SLP, I have elainesLP.com. But just know that if you go into the link in my bio for my embracing wholeness, that's where you'll branch out and you'll see that I started doing micro coaching for women and for mamas and really just trying to help others hone in on this alignment that I'm talking about, honing in on your intuition, on your alignment, not believing that you have to suffer to get to that ideal, that dream that you have. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just excited if I get to work with anyone in any capacity to help them feel closer to their goal or their vision. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you. Thank you for listening and supporting the Bold SLP Collective. You can find a closed captioned version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. We will also have show notes on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do all the podcast things. Follow, subscribe, download, and review. And don't forget, we love hearing from you. So connect with us on Instagram at the Bold SLP Collective. Stay bold and humble. See you next time.